stage. Well, I appreciate that. That, 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 that topic, though, uh, that topic is a hard one to present. So when, when Confer asks, like, hey, can you do the TRI one? I was like, oh. it's good in certain audiences, but it's dense. So it's, I, I have to kind of dance around how to present it in a way that it's has to dense, be it's, and it's almost it's almost got mythical baggage around it. Oh, it's it's just bizarre so how we've we've given it this sort of preferential treatment, and we hate it. I mean, everybody hates it, but it's still it doesn't lose its preferential treatment. Everybody loves to hate it, but there's no there's no alternative. So so people will knock it on one in one breath and then use it and misuse it, you know, in the other yeah. breath. And it, I, I, there's a weird relationship. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am Todd Conklin. It's time for another podcast. And who doesn't want to go to a podcast that starts with the final words, there's a weird relationship, and then goes into the bumper music. I mean, come on. Hello. If I'm not enticing you to listen, then I'm not doing my job as a podcast commander. No, am I commander? Podcast, captain of the podcast is what I am. So today's a fun day because I think you're going to like this a lot. I was able to uh, grab a quick little conversation with uh, with a guy you need to meet if you don't know, and it's uh, his name's Matthew Hollowell, and he's the executive director of the CSRA, which stands for Construction Safety Research Alliance. How's that? That's pretty impressive. But what he really is, well, I mean, that's not that's real too. I don't mean to downplay that, but the way I think of him is um, he's the president's teaching scholar and endowed professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And he's an engineering professor, which I, you know, normally shy away from because they can't stand me. And uh, I, they, often. It's the classic, uh, you know, linear thinker versus nonlinear thinker. You know the drill. I mean, that's what happens. But it's really fun to get to talk to Matt because he's done so much work in our arena and so much work specifically around construction safety that it seems kind of a little bit of an oversight to not have him on the pod until now. Although, to be fair, I've wanted him on the pod for a long time. It's just getting things coordinated is always a little difficult on my side of the house because, you know, I, I'm i the kind of guy that would leave an open tube of toothpaste on the front driver's seat of the car, sit on it, and then think, what is wrong with me? I'm that guy. I'm totally that guy. So this conversation, though, is a little bit meandering, but that's exactly what I like about the conversation because we're really going to talk about um, the the TRIR, the total reportable cases rate, and the idea of predicting the future in order to control the future, which is something that I spend an awful lot of my time thinking about and talking about to people all the time. And we have this desperate need to find these elusive predictive metrics. I mean, we really, really want these these metrics that'll tell us what's going to fail next. And I get that. I understand why that's so important. I mean, that that makes complete sense. The issue is, is that I'm also relatively convinced, and you'll hear Matt and I talk about this, that I, I'm not sure those metrics exist. 
And the reason I can say that is if they did exist, I think we'd have them. Not that we have all knowledge in the whole world and there's no new knowledge out there. I don't believe that. But I think there's something that we desperately want so badly, it seems like people would have really spent the time, energy, effort, and money to create that. And, and people have tried diligently, and it's hard. And part of the reason it's hard, and we talk about this a little bit, is people really hold on to the old thinking because it's scary to not hold on to the old thinking. And you've seen this all over the world. I mean, this is, this is a part of uncertainty, and it's a part of a world that sort of defies prediction. And, and so we really want to desperately, desperately make some kind of sense out of what's happening in the world or what's happening in our organizations or in our workplaces. And one of the ways we do that is by by believing things that may, in fact, not be true. So the Heinrich Pyramid is a really great example of that, right? Because people, they want to hold on to that Heinrich Pyramid desperately. And, and they want to hold on to it by saying that this is what has gotten us where we are now. And, and I understand that that reinforces the notion of identifying uncertainty and that reinforces the belief that all the work we've done for now has not been for naught, which, by the way, it's not been for naught. I mean, we've done good work. The problem is, is that the Heinrich Pyramid is the beneficiary of the good work you've done. It's not the reason the good work has happened. And that's hard. I mean, it's really hard for people. They, they, they want to think that in a different way. And they, they want to believe that if we truly take care of all these small events— and we keep that total reportable case number low, then what we have is a safe system. And we can count on that system to continue to be safe into the future. And I get it, you guys. I'm 100% getting it. I'm totally not not getting it. I mean, I understand that that's comfortable. The problem is, is it's just not real. It's, it's not real at all. In fact, we know, if you run the numbers, and that's something Matt's done. He's really looked at these numbers is that you're probably better off flipping a coin to predict the next accident than you are trending TRIR data. Let me say that again, because that actually should shock the crap out of you. You're better off flipping a coin to predict the next accident than you are trending total reportable cases days away, our injury numbers. In fact, the data is really pretty obvious you have about a 51% chance of getting it right when you flip a coin. You have about a 98% chance of not getting it right when you trend data. And that conversation's hard to have because we've built this mythology for years and years and years that the way we manage big events is by managing small events. You know this. I mean, I'm not telling you anything. You've had this conversation yourself. The problem is, is that as uncertainty increases... People desperately hold on to the past, desperately hold on to information that's not really based in science. It's based in sort of magical thinking. It's an emotional, intellectual burden. I made that up. I don't know if that really exists. Instead of being intellectual, they're being emotional. Maybe that's a better way to say that. And that's kind of the conversation that Matt and I have in relatively interesting detail throughout this discussion. And we talk about it kind of a lot. 
because it's it's interesting to me, and I know it's interesting to the people we hang out with. So it kind of meets the test for the podcast. But I think more importantly, we ought to have these conversations with each other as often as we can. Because here's what happens: when you have these conversations, you're you're introducing more intellectual ideas into a non-intellectual discussion. Oh, God, that sounds bougie. I don't want to sound bougie. When you have these dis- these discussions, you're actually introducing some better thinking. Is that a good way to put it? That's still kind of judgy. So some better thinking into some people with good intentions and the right reasons who are not thinking about the problem correctly. And if you don't think about the problem correctly, then your chance of solving the problem is relatively low. And that, in fact, is what this conversation does for us. And it's a fun one. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting chat. And I think you'll like it. We talk about a lot of stuff. So hold on to your seatbelts because uh, I would say this wiggles and moves like a good conversation should. And you'll hear them bussing the tables and clearing the conference room behind us. But, you know, that's the risk of having a conversation like this. Uh, I think you'll like it. So without much further ado, let's listen to the first part of the conversation that I have with Dr. Matt. And let's get to know Dr. Matt, if you don't know him, by just kind of following along, listening to what we talk about and see what you think. I'm really curious what you guys think. So here is today's pod. Everybody loves to hate it, but there's no there's no alternative. So so people will knock it on one in one breath and then use it and misuse it, you know, in the other yeah. breath. And it, I, I, there's a weird relationship that the safety it's, community has with TR. Yeah, it's really not useful at all. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think you should call it what it is. I, I would also suggest, and I can't wait to have this conversation, I would also suggest that there is absolutely no such thing as leading data. As leading data? That, that's, that's just completely magical thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and that's because an uncertain world is a world that we can't control. Yeah. So, therefore, a certain world, we, we want leading data because we want to control the future. Yeah, you want something that you can. What we found is is are the cycles. But the cycles make total sense. So you to can. Me. But the thing is, in, in, that I found is statistically, you can show that one's predictive over the other. But the but the opposite is true too. Right. So that was the weird thing as we were. I mean, I was young and studying this. I was like, oh, it's weird that normally you see directionality. One thing predicts another thing. But then the opposite you don't see. So it's just as clear that the leading indicators are predict or leading and vice versa. How much do you have to talk about leading indicators just to placate your audience so they stay with you? Well, I because okay, so there's a certain amount of. I mean, you can't. You really can't go up and say the emperor has no clothes because we have no clothing to replace the clothing that's not there. He says, getting really lost in a metaphor that he kind of wish he didn't start. <laughs> <laughs> a little, I, little ahead of my lights there. No, I. My take on it is I just tell people if you want to measure something more meaningful, you can measure – that's where I went with quality here. Uh-huh. You can measure how much you're doing, but that's a metric that – there's a limit to when more is better. And so I think and, – and you have to look at why you're measuring it. Are you measuring it to predict? Because why? 
if you're measuring to see, am I doing as much stuff as I'm supposed to and I'm doing it really well, then you're measuring your activities. And I don't see any problem with measuring that. What's your gut tell you about, so Carl Wyke forever, I mean, for almost since him and Kathleen started first writing the high reliability stuff, has really pushed the notion of monitoring yeah. over measuring. And I've thought about this a lot recently. What's your gut tell you? What is the difference between measuring and monitoring? Oh man! And I, I'm fully Hold aware that I'm professor. fully aware that you're a professor of engineering. Yeah. So that should throw your little linear brain into a tizzy. Yeah. Into does. a Carl Wyke fueled tizzy. <laughs> I love the question though. I mean, I think that you can monitor things that are observable but not necessarily quantifiable. Right. It's not reasonably quantifiable. But I also think a lot of things that you can monitor are also, if you get creative, they're measurable. It's just a matter of should we measure it? Is, and is it, is it a re reflection of reality? So like controls, or capacity measurement, as a, I think there's so many parts of capacity, right? It could be human capacity, it could be engineering capacity, it could be All technological right. capacity. Some of those things, like presence or absence of an engineering control, I think are observable, and you can measure it and count it. But human capacity, it's not. Do we? I don't think we should measure it. Well, I don't know how we would, right? I mean, no. where does it start with? And who measures? And when do you measure it? But to me, the yeah. interesting thing, and I'd be curious because this would not be the sword I'd die on, yeah. but it's kind of where I'm thinking right now. It's really difficult to find actually scholarly work around these ideas, just because it's it's relatively. I mean, I wouldn't say we're in a new place where yeah. this is an existential struggle that's existed a long time. But to me, it strikes me that measurements generally speak to be kind of measurable, linear, sort of Newtonian phenomena is present backwards. Whereas monitoring, so measuring tells you what happened, whereas monitoring is telling you what's happening. Yeah. And near as I can tell, again, don't let me bias it, Nothing is going to tell you what will happen. Um, you know no. the future. Yeah, this is this is. I mean, it's, it really gets in in my mind. It even gets into engineering. People do measure. I mean, you can measure systems in a linear right? I mean, in a linear example, Newtonian. You drive your car, right? Well, I mean, in a linear system, I think that's totally can. true. Yeah. As complexity increases, or as the system becomes more nonlinear in its normal behavior, then you lose sort of the benefit of physics. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> but the, I don't get. That. I mean, that's the we can talk about that. But I'm relatively certain the only people that give a crap about that are probably us. Yeah, I mean, we're not the only ones that should give a crap. About well, but but I, but I think that. But it's not terribly effective if you're running a, a concrete yard. No, I mean, just stand up in front of your boss and say, you know, boss, it's a nonlinear, complex system. <laughs> yeah, I, and I know in in the academic community that. Empirical research with numbers is seen to be of higher rigor than qualitative research and ethno ethnographic research. Well, we've always given preferential treatment to, 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 to quantitative data. Yeah, and it happens especially in engineering, as you can imagine. So I fought that battle for my whole career being in engineering. But, yeah, I think there's been a bit of a renaissance in that in, in the academic community. Some people really appreciating, like, from a method methodology standpoint, things like social constructivism which means that you go in asking questions having no idea what the answer may be. And so I'm even working with some colleagues in the UK who, who do that really well. well.
And I think that that is a good direction. I think it's balanced, right? I mean, some things are measurable, some things aren't. Some things should be measurable, some things should never be measured. Yeah, and some things just don't matter. I mean, it's, you can measure them, but it, they don't have a tremendous amount of value, which kind of is the TRIR uh, treaties. So introduce yeah. yourself. I mean, but I, we kind of jumped into this, Matt, and sure, because uh, I have lots, I have many <laughs> questions. Well, so I'm a I'm a professor of construction engineering at the University of Colorado. So I'm kind of an unlikely person to study safety in, in many respects. There are a few of us in engineering who who do study safety, John Gambatis and Mike Toole and you some see, others. You see that as an unlikely fit? I see it as a, almost a natural fit. I, I, I couldn't be preaching to the choir here, but I, so I agree, but I think it's just rare. That's yeah, all. I mean, sure. I think there are a lot, of, a lot of programs that do occupational safety and health, public health, um, but not as many folks who focus on that in engineering. Because it's not seen as traditional engineering, design of you know, forces and resistance. Right. So that's why it, it takes a little bit of a, a story and a narrative to make that connection back to engineering. So I think that's why there aren't so many. But, yeah, that's my, my background is an engineer. I worked in construction when I was younger. What led you to the, these kind of elusive safety questions? I just found and it's it not the money, and it can't be the fame. No, it's neither of those things for sure. You know, I, early in my career, I, I was, you know, you, early in your career, especially as an academic, your whole role is to prove yourself and publish, right? So I was doing work in some traditional areas of safety, like leading indicators and so on, which I, I found to be enlightening. But later in my career, now that I've made it through the academic ranks, now I can study what I want. So it's more what are interesting questions, what are the more challenging questions? And it's fine to take a risk now because I have a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they can't fire me for, for, for not being productive, right? It, productive, I use in quotes because oftentimes that's measured by the number of papers and people don't like to publish papers with null results, if you will. Right. I so, mean, because, yeah, because they're not terribly interesting. Exactly. One could make Sometimes a, they can be interesting. Yeah, no, I actually, one can make a case that they're incredibly interesting, but it doesn't kind of... Yeah, it takes a little bit more of a stretch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to be more imaginative. What, what have you found? Because the work you're doing around the energy wheel is, is really quite remarkable, and the timing on it is probably much better than you could ever imagine in a million years, because the, the world is moving towards this kind of renewed definition of safety. And wh what I would tell you is happening, and again, this is sort of my opinion, is that we're figuring out that the risk part we don't manage. It's the energy part we manage. The, the risk part is um, it's difficult to understand all the ways a system can fail because a system can fail in many, many ways. So therefore, you assume the probability is one, when the system fails, not if the system fails, and then what's our recoverability around the energy? How can we how, how can we keep the force from from killing people? That is a perfect. I mean, your work is it fits beautifully in that notion. Well, that's. I mean, it's too it's too kind. I, I, frankly, the energy concept. I enjoyed it so much because it made my engineer brain happy to some yeah. extent. Because it's physical energy. If we're talking safety, not health, but safety. Right. And, and we're actually really talking kind of sort of advanced industrial safety. It is. So, I mean, we're, we're sort of in this interesting place. What we're really talking about between us chickens, which is the only reason I'm here, is, is really understanding to a great extent fatality and significant injury yeah. is, is what we're looking at. Because to me, what's driven me crazy 
in the past is this the mythological the 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 mythical belief that it's the broken windows theory that that if we just manage ankle sprains and finger cuts That'll then work. the world will be i mean or or every every action is led by some kind of bad choice or unsafe behavior i mean it's just I mean, well, bad choices and unsafe behavior doth not manage energy. Yeah, and I think, that, well, the concept of energy is, is pretty elegant, right? So it, the way that I think about it is yeah, you have to have energy to do work. Right? I mean, that's, that's physics. You need energy. Energy does work. And we, most of people we work with, they're doing work on energy, right? right. So pipelines right. and right. power lines and so on. And so people kind of understand that, their energy sources. The concept of energy provides a more precise definition of what a hazard even is, right? A source of energy that, if it contacts the human body, causes harm. And then that one step further that you were just saying is, if you want to know what energy source has the potential for serious injuries or fatalities, you can look at how much energy is there. A heavier object higher in the sky has more potential for serious harm than a lighter object lower down. It's physics and medicine, right? So I think people appreciate that elegance and there's scientific backing to it. And it was the right time, I think, in the, the journey that people have been on to introduce the energy wheel and the idea of energy management um, as people talk about capacity and and human factors and human performance as we can say, look, we need to have really good controls around us and really good capacity for success, especially when we're around energy sources that have a lot of physical energy. So our conversation goes on and on and on. Not that it's boring. It's not. It's not boring at all. In fact, it's quite amazing. But I had to make a decision. Do I run the longest podcast in the world or do I crack it into two parts? And I'll bet you're guessing right now what my decision was yes there's going to be a two-parter this is part one and part two which is actually remarkable i highly recommend you listen to it but i know what it is because this is the one case where i can see the future here i am seeing the future part two is where we really get down and dirty around things like fatality prevention and he talks directly dr matt talks directly about the idea of trir and its inaccuracy so I'll just cut to the chase. You're more accurate flipping a coin than you are using TRIR. Okay? I don't know how else to put it other than just that. I mean, that that's, that is pretty profound. That is a, a, a bold statement I just made right there. Bold, 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 bold. And yet, it's important. But we hold on to it desperately. I... I uh, that's what we talk about. I think we hold on to it desperately because we don't know what else to put. And a world filled with uncertainty is a world that is unacceptable. We cannot accept that. And so we hold on to a metric that we know is not true and we know is not impactful. I mean, hello, if flipping a coin is more accurate than uh, what I don't know. What else? Do you need other things than that? I mean, it didn't. It seems like that's enough to convince you. And that part of the conversation, which is a great one, is really what's on part two. So there's where we're going to end it. Well, we're just going to tease it by saying tune in next week for more excitement 
on the pre-accident investigation pod show, a podcast or pod show, depending on. I've never really ended a podcast like this. This is I like this. I'm actually quite pleased with the amount of suspense I've created. I feel like I've done my work. My work here is through. And with that, I'll say this. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to one another. And for goodness sakes, check in on one another. That's important. Monday's a great day to do that. And until then, for goodness sakes, be safe. <music>